Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm joined tonight by cousin Isaac. And Isaac, we have a lot to talk about, but the I wanted to start off with this. Man, you nailed it. The Vikings let go of Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. How does that make you feel? Oh, man. You know, I, I want to say I called it, which I kind of did, but I really didn't think they'd go that route. That's the route I wanted them to go. So it's kind of it's kind of cool they took that route. Um, but I'm going to be honest, I really didn't think they'd do that. So I was even shocked, even though I said it. Well, I did not say that, but I still was not shocked. And I still don't know if this is going to lead to anything different in terms of the product we see in the field. Because I still think, like, you know, back in 2018, and we're not going to get into a long segment on the Vikings tonight, but Mike Zimmer said it. We might. <laughs> Mike Zimmer said it. He said, like, basically in the press conference the day after um, Cousins was signed, I just hope that that kind of cap hit isn't going to affect our ability to focus on the defensive side of the ball where mm. we have gone 30 and four in games where this offense have, has scored at least 21 points in four years at the time, mm. you know, yeah. and, and, you know, since then, you know, now we've got Kirk Cousins coming back probably at 45 million and we'll see, we'll see if another administration can figure this quagmire out, but I'm not so sure. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, like, once you sign Cousins at that price point, like it no longer was a defensively minded team because it was just too oh. much of a cap hit. But then that's just it too, is it's like, you know, it's gotta be Zimmer's Zimmer's end to come here though, because like if we're gonna lean into the offense truly, I mean we've seen Zimmer just constantly have problems with the offense trying to do too much. So I'm hoping we'll move in a direction where our offense is going to be very aggressive and then we'll see really what Kirk has. And I don't really think that's going to turn out too well for us, but we'll find out. Well, it hasn't, you know, in what, uh, 11 NFL seasons, eight as a starter, two franchises at this point. I kind of think he is who he is. If there is, if there is an offensive guru that can unlock him and that, but you know what? I think that this Vikings franchise has done everything they possibly can to put him in a position to be successful outside of really maybe nailing the offensive line. Um, and I think cousins are going to be cousins. And I think the new administration comes in and if he's here, it's going to be a lot more of the same. Like, you know, if we just do some, you know, uh, offensive packages where we're getting Kurt on on the edge and, you know, we have some playmakers and, 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 you know, we have an offensive line that can protect him. And it's just like, if, 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 if we saw, we saw yesterday, how much those ifs didn't matter. Doesn't matter that <laughs> Bills had the number one defense in the league, Isaac. <sighs> Patrick Mahomes I mean, like lit them up. And on the flip side, Josh Allen is Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I mean, that game was incredible, and I didn't even catch all of it. But I heard enough to know what the heck went on. And just just call the Super Bowl right there. I don't know why we're still playing games anymore. Like. Like I saw, I saw a post on I think I think it was on Facebook, and it was like, I think the NFL just needs to change the rules and have the Bills versus Chiefs be a like a seven game series, and just they can play for the Super Bowl, because that would be one hell of a, a series. It did kind of feel like basketball those last two minutes, and then into overtime. I mean, just the way <laughs> how much they were going back and forth, and um, I gotta say, like I I I, I always tried to stay away from this was the best and this is the greatest. And cause it's always so nuanced, right? Like it's so hard to compare different generations and how football's played. But I got to tell you, like um, I didn't get to watch most of that game. Cause it was kind of in that like key family hour for us, but I did get to watch most of the fourth quarter and overtime. And I do not know Isaac, if I've watched a better football game since Super Bowl 51. And I'm not saying this is the greatest game of all time, but that was when you know Tom Brady was down 28 to three against the Atlanta Falcons and came back and won that game, which was really a great second half. Um, mm -hmm. But like just the way it was like two gunslingers out there, two guys with pistols in their hands, you know, with six um, shots in the holster and just going at it back and forth, boom, 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 boom. Um, but like it, it, and I think it's the 13 second game. Like that's the thing in my mind that stood out was that like 
when Pat Mahomes down 36 to 33 with 13 seconds to go. I have no idea why Buffalo did not squib kick it or do something that forced um, Kansas City to take some time off the clock on the kickoff. I don't get that. They kicked it through the end zone. And I guess like the idea was like Tyreek Hill was back. And so they didn't, he was, you know, they didn't want to chance it with him, but you give the ball 25 yard line to Patrick Mahomes. And he made two plays 45 yards and there's a field goal bangs it through. Yeah. They win the coin toss. So, um, well, they have, they have all their timeouts too. Right. So it's like, not only are you giving Mahomes the ball, but you're giving him the ball with, you know, all his, all his toys to play with. But it was still 13 seconds. Like, you can't think, like, an NFL coach is like, oh, I'm really concerned about 13 seconds. But you got to be. And I mean, is, it, is this the first time we've seen something mirac- miraculous come out of Patrick Mahomes? No. He's – it was <laughs> – honestly, it was – you know, then in the drive in overtime, and I know the whole social media story is like, you have to make overtime more fair. I don't know. Like, if I, – I don't mind the rule that if – because it used to be, like, the first team to score one. Then they changed it to – if you score a touchdown, you win. Yeah. But if you score a field goal, then the other team has the opportunity to get the ball back, which yeah. has led to more ties, by the way, the last um, whatever number of seasons. But man, that was a great football what, weekend. Uh, go, you, what's your What's your thoughts on uh, implementing the uh, college football overtime rule into the NFL? Oh, I saw the, the the social media meme on that today too. That the score would have ended like 142 to 136. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I no, I don't like the college football rule. I don't like eight overtimes. I don't like was it Penn State, Iowa? Like yeah. it's like it's like four thirty in the afternoon and like the afternoon games are at halftime and like they're stu- <laughs> still duking it out with an like an eleven thirty start. No. Why don't we just go to nine man football when we get to overtime? Ooh, <laughs> nine man football. <laughs> it opened it up for sure. I mean that's yeah. in hockey, four and four hockey, right? Or Yeah. <laughs> so with that, like, let's pivot a little bit. I know this is not Minnesota sports, but it's with after the weekend of football that we just had with four NFL playoff games ending on the final play of the game. Three of them, of mm. course, with a field goal. And then, of course, the touchdown that um, Mahomes threw to Kelsey in overtime to knock off the Bills. We've got four teams left. We have the 49ers and the Rams and the NFC, and we have the Chiefs and Bengals and the AFC. So at this point, gun to your head, Isaac, what is your Super Bowl pick and what is your champion? Yeah, so uh, definitely one is, our, I have kind of already said it because I said the Super Bowl already happened, but uh, Kansas City Chiefs for sure. I mean, Mahomes is firing on all cylinders and that defense is better than it's been in previous years and it seems like their O-line is not that bad at all. So Mahomes made it there on less last year. So I like that. I like that pick. NFC, as much as I love the Niners, and I'm I'm behind the Niners the whole way. I love Debo Samuel. That guy carried me in fantasy this year. Um, I don't like Jimmy Garoppolo versus versus uh, Stafford, and Stafford's been pretty hot in the playoffs. So taking the Rams, Rams Chiefs, and then I'm taking the already Super Bowl winner, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Let's go. He doesn't have to go through Tom Brady this time. So so I'll do a little bit of the um, the guys that, that you didn't pick. Not that I'm picking them, but the Bengals, right? Like they have, they've got Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Yeah. They've got T. Higgins. They've got Tyler Boyd. They've got some playmakers on offense. And you know what? They picked off Tannehill three times. They've got yeah. some guys on defense that can make plays. So they, they're young. I, but I wouldn't overlook the Bengals' defense in terms – they're a little bit like the Cowboys, I think, in their ability to turn the offense over. But he was sacked nine times in that divisional round, and he was sacked more than 50 times in the regular season. And I just – it wasn't just about the number of times that like the offensive line was porous and let – guys through but it was also the play calling like they they didn't compensate for the fact that they knew that their quarterback didn't have time so they were just like dropping him back five or seven steps and then like you know throw deep to jamar chase unless they knock you down and that's no way to play a football game like where were the wide receiver check downs where were the screens where were the you know the five yard slants 
Um, that, so that Bengals offense, as talented as they are, I think their coaching and their their players need to get into a position, especially if they don't have an offensive line that can protect them, protect Burrow. As you said in a text message, like, is that guy going to be alive in two years? The way that he gets involved, right? Of no knees. <laughs> so I don't see it. I think there could be a, they can make some big plays on both sides of the ball, and they can make the game a little interesting. But I, I see the Chiefs. I just I think they've got the pedigree, they've got the quarterback, they're healthier, their offensive line isn't shit, their defense is better than it's been. I think the Chiefs. Um, yeah, I mean that game could be more of a shootout than we even know too. Like it's possible, you know, Burrow hangs in there with them. He wants to smoke that cigar after the game, so he's gonna, you know, do his best to light that baby up. I don't think so, though. Not with that line, and not with the way that they play call. Unless they change it up. I, I mean, yeah, possibly. But there's just some games where I feel like, you know, Cincinnati's got it. They have all these young guys with this young talent. So sometimes I feel like you never know exactly what you're gonna get game to game. There's just not enough consistency there yet. But the thing is, that's cool about them. I mean, if this group stays together, you know, they'll probably be right back in this situation next year. Yeah, and you know, I I think Burrow. It, in addition to the so not having a great offensive line and maybe the play calling is not designed for him to get rid of the ball in two point one seconds, a la Tom Brady. But he he does need to have better like pocket awareness, and that yeah. was the thing about him. Like in terms of like Allen and Mahomes, like I, and this is the crazy thing. Like thinking about the AFC over the next ten years. So you've got Allen and you've got Mahomes, and you've got Burrow, and you've got Herbert, and I guess if you want to throw um, you know, Lamar in there. And then on the NFC side of the ball, like who are the great quarterbacks? Drew Brees? Done. <laughs> right? Like Tom Brady? Rod- like Rodgers. Yeah, Rodgers. Who knows where he goes next year? Maybe he'll be in the AFC. He's got some game left, but I don't know where he's going to end up. But like the, the NFC is kind of wide open. Yeah. So on the NFC side of the ball this year, you know, 2021 season, um, Super Bowl 56, I believe, 49ers, Rams. I think the Rams are going to make it too. I like the Niners. They've got some talent. They've, they, you know, they, they've, they've, they've really come on in the second half of the season. And, you know, they've got some playmakers on offense and Garoppolo is a, a good game manager. And um, if their defense is healthy, but the Rams just have playmakers at every level. You know, with Cam Akers back now, it's him and Ch- Sony Michelle in the backfield. They've got Odell Beckham, who they picked up mid-season, um, alongside of Cooper Cup, the triple crown winner um, in terms of receiving. And then you look at their defense, and they got you know they got Von Miller and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and this guy and that guy, and it's just like when you've got playmakers on three levels of defense and on three levels of offense. As long as Stafford doesn't shit the bed, <laughs> I. I, and they're playing at home, and I know it's going to be like a half home game because it's the Rams, and they never play home games. But <laughs> they have more talent, so I think it is the Rams and the Chiefs. And I, I think, mm. <laughs> I'm picking the Rams. Ooh, I'm picking the Rams. This is the reason. Like, um, Stafford has confidence. And Stafford can still throw one of those balls every game or two of those balls every game that can turn the tide. But, man, they've got Sean McVay. And I was watching him, and I was paying special attention to the scheming on offense. And, like, the way that the Rams win after the Bucks secondary, the depleted secondary, and, of course, they've got two playmakers on the outside, and they've got a quarterback that can throw the ball now. And I think I'm really watching who Sean McVay wants to be as a head coach and as an offensive guru. Um, and the way that he's mixing and matching, you know, Beckham and, and, and Cup and he's using Stafford. Like this is, this is, these are the guys that he envisioned in terms of executing his offense. So I think the Chiefs are the juggernaut. I do. But I like the Rams. I just, I, I like their defense. And last year we saw when Tampa Bay put pressure on Mahomes and got him uncomfortable in the Super Bowl, it was a blowout. And yeah. their offensive line is better. But this, this LA Rams defense, I think could, could, especially with their um, talent at the secondary level, and can he find guys open? 
you know, we'll see. We'll see. I think I'd love to see a Rams Chiefs Super Bowl. That's my point. Yeah, Rams Chiefs would be entertaining for sure. I just worry that you know, I, I love Stafford. I've always loved Stafford, even even for Detroit. I feel like he was always kind of getting the bad end of the stick there. But he's like, he has no no track record. So I don't like all these big moments, and he's he's he can be good for throwing a bad pick or two in a game, and that could be just enough to to make that team lose. So, I mean, yeah, I feel like it's all going to be in, in Stafford's hands. If, if, you know, if they win it, he's going to have to play the game of his life, basically. Or their defense, their defense, like, like look at the 49ers I, scored three points on offense in green Bay and won the game. But the point is Garoppolo didn't do anything really in green. Except no. He made a couple of big plays on the final drive because their defense held up Rogers and their special teams made a play. That game was the most boring game of the of the weekend. So I mean, um, I just think the Chiefs. I mean, we saw it against Buffalo, like how good that Buffalo defense was supposed to be, and they still put up how many points on them. Like, I think the Rams are going to have to keep up with the Chiefs. But the Rams are more talented on defense, and the Rams they have are. the ability to shut if they play well any team down. And I, you know. It'll be a fun one either way. Like that that's the Super Bowl we need because that'll be the more entertaining one for yeah. sure. So we wanted to talk some NFL football just because that was probably like in my lifetime one of the best football weekends in terms of just drama. And not all the games were great the whole way through, but man, that was a good way to spend a weekend if you're a football guy. Um and you know you know, on the flip side, Isaac, I haven't been very watching very much Timberwolves, <laughs> and yet they're seven and three in in, in January. And, yeah. You know, we're above five hundred, and we're the we're the number seven seed in the in the West right now, which puts us as the top seed of the play in tournament and in really good position to qualify for the playoffs. So tonight, we wanted to talk a little bit about, um, excuse me, the trade deadline, which is coming up on. February 10th, I believe. Yep. So the Timberwolves are in an unlikely position of being buyers. <laughs> When's the last time we could say that? <laughs> I mean, has it, has, how nice has it been, Isaac, to turn on the TV like when we're able and watch the Timberwolves in December and January and, and as the months move on? And like every night means something. Yeah. Are they actually, yeah. They actually like play hard every game, like every game we could win. Whereas I feel like a lot of years it was just like, oh, here we go. Wolves in their same old fashion, oh, blow it in the fourth quarter or something or get you excited and then just get blown out. But this team like continues to play hard. Like they've started from, from early on and we talked about it then, but just that, that give a shit factor has not gone away yet and it's been impressive. And so, yeah, it's very exciting to like be able to turn them on. And see them like most games in the fourth quarter, they're right there, or maybe they're they're leading by a lot. I mean, they basically kicked Brooklyn's butt last night, um, and they were a depleted Brooklyn. They didn't have KD, but they still had James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and I feel like, you know, previous years that's still enough to beat the Wolves. Mm. But last night it was like everything was working. They had help on their on their bench, which we had talked about. You know, their bench being deep. So like they need they need that help on the bench. They got to get like double digit points from at least one guy, and they got it from two guys last night. And then you had our big three: Cat, Dilo, and and Ant. They all had like what, at least like twenty, twenty one points. So I mean, you you mesh all that together with solid effort on defense, and I, I don't know this team. It's it's just it's. I mean, it's crazy. We're freaking out about them being five hundred, but like. That is crazy for the Wolves. No, <laughs> so no. We, it, it we is, need to be happy about that. It is not crazy about us freaking out about them being 500 because of recent history, Isaac. And I don't know if you remember, but we started this pod in March of 2021, shortly after the All-Star break, I think five or so games. And I believe that Finch had been hired five or so games before the All-Star break. And I think Saunders, Ryan Saunders' record at the time was 7-24. and 24. And it was about the same time of the year, maybe a little bit um, earlier. 
And I was reading some articles. I actually did some, I was doing some research today and like it, it pulled up some articles inadvertently that were like from a year ago at this time about the Wolves offense. Cause I was trying to like, you know, Wolves offensive Wolves, 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 W-O-E-S, not Wolves, <laughs> W-O-L-V-E-S. That's the team, not the offense. Um, and like it was talking about Ricky Rubio and Malik Beasley being the number one guy and Towns being out. And it was Oof. like, oh, yeah, that's where we were a year ago. And now <laughs> we're 23 and 22 and we're a game above 500. And this is a good team. And, you know, the national, it took about two and a half to three months, but like the national basketball pundits are paying attention. And, you know, Towns is now what in year three of his five year contract? Yeah, I think he's got two left. Yeah. Okay. So yep. I think at this point, I think the salient point is this we need to take advantage of Towns' prime because um, that guy's got a shot at starting the All Star game. Mm -hmm. Like, he may not, but like, once you start looking at like, so who's going to be in the Cal West? Calif California is going to have something to say about Cat not starting at the Alistair game. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, tell us about that, Isaac. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the top 10, which I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately, but I think it was like six or something of the top 10 are all from California teams, like the Lakers, Golden State. And I mean, it's, it's, Definitely not getting looked that close enough. I mean, even if you, even if you just pull up his stats real quick, he's having an amazing year. Like it's pretty incredible. It's, he's shooting just under fifty-two percent from the field, which is forty percent from three-point, and then eighty percent from the free throw line. And I just want to make a note on that three-point percentage. Like he's still putting up just under six three-pointers a game. So to make that many as a seven-footer is incredible. And then his other numbers are 24 points, nine rebounds, and just under four assists. Like those numbers easily warrant a starting spot, especially on a team that has like been trending, which is weird that he's not getting more votes. I mean, at, at least he's getting recognized some, but it seems like, you know, Ant's getting a lot of that recognition. Um, but he's also doing this with, I mean, Delos picked it up recently, but Cat's been pretty consistently good throughout the year. Whereas you know Delos been just finally bringing it up, so it's like he's he's been the one between him and Ant to really be carrying this team. So I don't know though. You live in in the tundra of Minnesota, and the the, the California folks just forget about you, I guess. So yeah, we'll, well, we'll see. We'll see if he gets those votes up there a little bit more. He's not going to end up a starter for the All Star game. I think like the bigger thing for me would be like, does he end up as a second team All NBA guy? Which is where you're really looking at like guys that follow the NBA and they're voting. I mean, if you got LeBron, and so just thinking about the um, the West, right? Like, who are the guys that have played better than him this year? Not in terms of voting. So LeBron James. And Nikola Jokic, I would say yes. And then these are the other four guys ahead of him in all-star voting in the front court. Paul George, no. Andrew Wiggins, Andrew effing Wiggins, no. Although I, I we do need <laughs> he to has get, had a good year. Yes. He has had a good year. Yes. As as a fourth man on an offense, that's who Andrew Wiggins is. Um yep. Draymond paid Green. 35 million. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Uh, Draymond Green. The stats don't say it, but he's probably worth as much to that team as Cat is to this team. Anthony Davis, he's been hurt too much. And then Cat is the seventh guy in voting in the front court in the West. And I would say he's probably third or fourth in terms of actual performance than guards. Stephen Curry, yes, he's been better than Luka Doncic. He's been out of shape, and Luka and Dallas has been garbage for a good chunk of the year. They're just starting to bring it on. So I don't think yeah. like I don't think that Doncic has been better than Towns this year. John Morant, yes. And the fourth guy is Clay Thompson, which he just played like two <laughs> he games. Just came back. Right. Yeah. So at that point, it's like Steph Curry, John Morant. Okay, that's two guys. LA or LeBron James, Nikola Jokic. And then if you want to put Draymond Green in there, sure. 
But I think that Cat deserves as much attention for that as as Draymond does. It's just Draymond's team has the pedigree and his stats aren't great and he's got the California voting, as you say. But, you know, like Towns is a borderline Western Conference starter this year. And I think he's got a good chance of making second team All-NBA if he keeps this up. So that brings me to this point. Third year of a five-year contract. A guy who is in his prime now. We have got to take advantage of his prime. Yep. Does this team, as it's currently constructed, give you the confidence? As much as we've improved from last year in the Ryan Saunders era, and now we're in playoff contention, does this team, as currently constructed, have a high enough ceiling to truly take advantage of Carl Anthony Towns' prime? That's my question for you, Isaac. It's <laughs> a big question. Um I mean, no, I would say no. I would say that the team's fun. The, de- the team's probably one of the best we've we've seen, at least, especially like chemistry wise. Like they're they're playing well, and actually, they like each other. Unlike the Jimmy Butler years, where they played really well, but didn't really tell if anyone liked anyone, which I think we found out that that was probably true. Um, but. I, I, I like the fact that he has Ant and D'Lo now to kind of spread the load around a little bit more. Because I felt like early in his career, it was always like, cat, 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 cat. Nothing else around him. It's just cat. But now he's actually got a little bit of help. Still, my issue is that we need to find a way to like ease the burden of fouls on him. And I know part of that is going to be still on Cat himself. Because a lot of his fouls come from the offensive side, which, I mean, you can't really get a player to take that away from from him there. So he needs to figure out how to not commit so many offensive fouls. But I also think he needs to not be playing the center position to truly unlock what Cat can do for us. Okay, so if if you think that taking Cat out of the center position, especially defensively, is the key to this team's success. And the trade deadline is now, what, two and a half weeks away. What's the answer? Yeah. Well, I just want to say, too, like, defensively and offensively, because, I mean, you, you have this guy, this seven-foot guy on offense who's potentially getting guarded by a four. Okay, let's, like, play that matchup and get him in the post. And I know a cat's not super strong, but, like, he should still be able to bully a, a four okay. And if he's got a five, like chances are he can blow around him or he can sit on the perimeter. So, like, yes, defensively, that's the main thing, which is why I think we need to go for probably the main guy that a handful of playoff teams are going to go for, and he's available. And it's obvious, in my opinion, Miles Turner. Okay. It's obvious. It might be obvious, Isaac, and but still, what's 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 your case for why we bring him in and then his what we give up, and then the impact it can have on this team. I mean, he's 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 what you would define as like a true center, especially defensively. Um, but yet, he still gives you a little bit of the modern game. So he's got pretty like tame stats. I mean, he averages 12.6 rebounds and around two blocks, which uh, like three out of the last four years, he was the lead lead, lead the league leader in blocks. Um. So just that right there, like he's active on the defensive side, and that that's something we need, and it's something that we can build on because our defense is so active right now. But he's also a, another interior force that Cat has doesn't have to be that main option that's trying to you know block shots at the rim. Um, but also on the offensive side, he's super efficient. Um, just just between this year and last year, he's shooting better than sixty percent from like two point shots. Like, that's really, really good. Like, that's basically automatic. And then you look at him as a three-point shooter, and he's he's not bad. I already said before he's a 35% three-point shooter. So you still have to honor him at the three-point line. So it's not like he's someone that if you bring him in, like, it's going to stop your offensive flow. Like, he can still pop it at the three-point line, and, like, defenses have to stay honest to him. Um, So I think just, like, he, he kind of continues the same type of offense that Finch likes to run where it's pretty fast paced, you know, getting off shots. But then we also have a bigger body on 
on the court. Like, I don't know if Vando then comes off the bench, but I mean, talk about replacing a, what, like a six, eight guy with a guy that's seven foot or maybe taller. And so, and his contract's great. His contract's perfect for trading. So I think like we can easily package something like a Beasley who's making around 14, 15. And we're going to have to add another player in there. I don't know if it's Nas Reed or if it's McDaniels. Um, right around the two, three million mark is what we need to kind of match Turner's 18 million. Um, and then you also still have him on that contract for one more year as well. So it's not like we're just trading him for this year. Then we have to figure out, oh crap, you know, what are we going to do with them? Do we have to resign them? How much is that going to cost? But I, I just, I'm, I wonder if we have enough because I know that. The asking price, supposedly, from the Pacers is they want a pair of first rounds or a first and a promising young player. So it's just going to be ultimately, like, how do teams view Beasley? Like, to me, Beasley is kind of just like, he is what he is, right? Like, he's a volume shooter. He can get hot. He can also, like, not give you much outside of shooting. He's not very, like, that good on defense. Um, but then what, 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 like, what would they see in McDaniels or a Nas Reed? Both very young players on very, like, affordable contracts. Is that, like, enough to get them interested? Cause I think that first round we learned from the Wiggins trade, we probably need to, like, protect that a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, hopefully we're, we're gonna be good enough now where we don't have to worry about a top 10 pick anymore. But we might wanna play that safe. But I don't know, like, to, to me, Turner's the guy because you, you get Cat into the four spot. He doesn't have to guard the big guys like the Embiid's, the Jokic's, the Gobert's, whatever, whoever you want to name at the five. Like he doesn't have to worry about getting into foul trouble with those people. And I feel like it still makes our offense very dynamic because now you have two seven footers who can potentially pop it. So I like Miles Turner. I think that I think that he would make, he would make this team better, especially. If what we give up for him is, in my mind, like draft picks of the next two years don't really matter. Number one, because I think we're clearly going to at least be a mid-level Western Conference contender, which means the draft picks at worst are going to be like at the very bottom of the lottery or outside of the lottery, right? Yeah. And number two, number two, like if you need to bring in assets to help Towns exploit his prime, it may, it may mean like golden state gets a jonathan kaminga and and like it's like okay like now we have a russell and i'm not unhappy with russell even though wiggins is you know thriving in golden state but that's a system that he needed to be in where he was the fourth option not the second option in minnesota um so miles turner he comes to the timberwolves let's just say and we give up beasley or in in a in a pair of draft picks or so what are we really getting him for? You said 12 points, six rebounds. He's led the league in blocks two of the last three years, you said, right? Three out of the last four, yeah. So so rim protection. Yep. And six rebounds? A guy that's seven feet? Like, that's it? Yeah, that, that was that was probably a little concerning for me. But, I mean, he's... He's been hanging out with Sabonis a lot, so yeah. maybe there's just maybe there's just not enough rebounds to go around for him. Well, that happens. Like, Towns' rebounds are down this year, you know, mostly because of Vanderbilt, right? Um, and sometimes that happens. But this is like you know, I think the narrative is that you know Towns needs needs help in the paint. Towns is too small. Towns can't handle being a five. That's what we've been talking about for a year. That's he does get into a lot of foul trouble, but you know, I was, I, I dug in a little bit into the stats, Isaac, and I was at a game at the end of December against the Pist or against the Knicks, I should say. And their center, Mitchell Robinson or yeah, Robinson. Um, and I think he had 20 rebounds. Like their two best front court players had 34 rebounds. And I was like, oh, my God. And they were both playing. And I was like, we're just getting freaking killed on the rebounds tonight. And my friend was like, nope. Look, up at, and we went up to the corner um, TV projectors, which shows, like, the team by team total rebounds. And, like, we were down by two. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, interesting. Where do you think we are in terms of points in the paint in the league offensively? I'll go middle of the, middle of the pack. 
Okay, 14th. And where do you think we are defensively in terms of points allowed in the paint? Mm, lower. Probably like 20. No, we're 8th. Really? And then offensive, we've made this point before about our offensive rebounding is like third in the league and our defensive rebounding is like 25th. And overall, our rebounding is about like middle of pack. It's like 14th or so. Mm -hmm. So like this whole narrative that like we're getting killed in the paint, I don't buy it. Like Towns is following out a lot, but Towns is, you sent me the text yourself, Isaac, uh, two weeks ago. That he led mm-hmm. he led the league in offensive off, offensive rebound or offensive fouls by fourteen. He had forty two at that point, and the, se- yep. the second guy was twenty eight. Yep. So my question is, we're not losing the battle in terms of points in the paint. We're not losing the battle in terms of rebounds. Cat's foul trouble is more about cat, especially on offense. So, is. Like if if we're gonna make a deal at the deadline, is going after a like a true five the best way to do it? And I'm not so sure. And that's your one. Like your Miles Turner is your yep. one, right? I think we both yep. have a two and a two a two A and a two B. So so <laughs> my one continues to be the one and only Ben Simmons. <laughs> so I'm gonna make the case for him. Yeah, let's hear it. So Simmons for Beasley and D'Lo. Um, and probably at least one draft pick and in all likelihood two. And they're both probably first rounders. And they're, and then like you probably need to throw in $3.5 million in terms of contracts on Philly's end to make that work, right? Cause you're looking at like 30, 45 million to like 33. So how does that make us better? Well, Beasley, like I think that we can all acknowledge that he's getting lost in this rotation. He's a last year. There was games where that guy was average, like scored 20, 25 points. Why? He was the number two option. Now he's the number four option at best, and he's coming off the bench. And if he gets hot, he can win you quarters, but Jalen Noel can provide the same spark off the bench. So I think and if you let go of Beasley at $15 million, he has the potential to be the guy that we saw last year when he was the number two option and provide a lot of volume, three-point scoring, especially for a contender like Philadelphia can be with Joel Embiid. Number two, they get D'Lo. So right now, what's their point guard situation? It's a mess. D'Lo mm-hmm. is going to come in and stabilize their point guard position. He provides scoring. He provides playmaking. His defense has improved. And as he's shown... You know, he, he, I still question the stats, but he's shown to be productive offensively in the fourth quarter. So who are we getting with Simmons? Like, we still go back to that Atlanta series and we say to ourselves, a guy that's not willing to take a shot, a guy that's afraid of playing winning basketball. And that's fair. But we forget that this man was a three-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA defense first team, and one-time made All-NBA second team overall. He's going to fill your stat sheet, Isaac. 16 points. Mind you, does not shoot threes, and I understand that. But 58% shooting on 10 to 11 shots per game. So that's six to seven shots that you can now distribute between Ant and Cat. In addition, you know, he's a good rebounder, and as we know, he's a tremendous defender. Now, can we pry him away from Philadelphia, and why would we, why would Daryl Morley make that trade? Well, number one, D'Lo's a 20-a-game point guard. Beasley's a 15-a-game score, probably off their bench. And then we throw in a couple of draft picks. Like, at this point, like, that is going to improve their team. And Simmons, I will. Th- this is my last point, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. Where is he from? Australia. And they're laid back. There's a lot of sun, right? Most of them are living on the coast. Yeah. And then you throw them into the freaking quagmire of Philadelphia. And what is the dominant personality characteristic of Philadelphia? Yeah. I mean, they're a bit bit in your face and aggressive. And yeah. Well, why don't we just ask, you know, Case Keenum and Stefan Diggs in 2018, how they felt walking into that stadium as their fans were being belted with beer cans and batteries. 
<laughs> so, like, this guy is like, he's withered away on the vine in Philadelphia. And I just still, I still think, and I think that we have maybe the same package was presented to Daryl Morley back in August, and he said no. I think he might say yes now. If we give him a combination of guys that can make, that can complement um, Joel Embiid well now in D'Lo and Beasley, and give him a pair of draft picks that might set him up for a future if Embiid gets hurt and they need to rebuild, and we get Simmons, think about this. Think about a lineup with Ben Simmons, Jared Vanderbilt, and Jared McDaniels on defense. Think about yeah. wing, wing scorers in the league. We would shut that shit down. All right. Why should we not trade for Ben Simmons? <laughs> well, first off, like, I want to say that, like, it would be, I mean, anytime you can add, like, the player of that caliber to your roster would be pretty impressive. My only worry about that guy is, like, do do we know if he's actually a good teammate? I know you said all the stuff about Philadelphia and him getting into that crazy hullabaloo that's going on there. But, like, do we know he's actually a good teammate? Do we know that? Like, his whole situation in college was kind of messed up, too, at LSU. Like, like he didn't even bring that team to the to the tournament. Like, he couldn't even get it to work there. Like, are we sure this guy's all about, you know, working hard and being a good teammate? Or is he just about himself and i feel like and i feel like like the way the way this the chemistry has been on the team this year and yes i do think we need a trade to get over the to get over the hump but i i hate to see it would be hard for me to see delo go with the way this chemistry is going and delo being the leader he is on this team and even being the leader he is on this team even when he's playing poorly like he's been a very good like even a scapegoat for a lot of people, I guess you could say, but he's taken it all in stride. And I just don't know if, if, if Ben Simmons brings that same kind of support and stability that D'Lo kind of has right now. And that that's the part that would kind of concern me, I guess. Okay. So Isaac, the point that you made to me is that D'Lo was really important to this team in terms of his leadership, even when he's not playing well, his locker room presence, the way that like guys are gelling around him. And I concede that point. But I would say this. like, And I know he's really close to Cat. But at the end of the day, this is a business. And I think that this team, with Anthony Edwards' charisma and Patrick Beverly's drive to like every guy to do their best on the, the, you know, the court night in and night out, I think we would miss him. And I also think that the acclimation period for anybody that we brought back in his position in terms of a starting point guard would be hard. But I still think like Ben Simmons in this market, like, like again, it, there's so much difference between the East Coast and in particular in Philadelphia and Minnesota. And in Minnesota, like, what is the worst that this media is going to do to you? Think about it. Like, you got Barrero mm-hmm. and JG in the afternoon. What do they do? Like, their whole shtick is about like, like putting both sides of the argument on the table and then picking one slightly, right? And then you got Paul yeah. Allen in the morning. He doesn't talk basketball. And then you got the common guy and and, um, and Rosen from 12 to 3, and their whole thing, like they're playing games half the time. And then you go to the podcast world and like Mackie and Judd, what do they do? All they want to do is like fire people and make trades. But they don't have a big enough audience. So like really like, and then you got, you know, Britt Robson and, and Dane Moore and, like they want to break down every single play of the freaking game every night, which is fine. But like, what does that really mean in terms of a, of a player experience? It's like you're kind of let off the hook. Like you're not really getting the night to night barrage of the radio and the TV and the entire media coming after you. And I think a guy like Ben Simmons, who grew up in Australia, would have far more success in a low key market like Minnesota. Um, and I think that the leadership that we would lose with D'Lo, like it wouldn't be that significant considering the other guys on the roster. With that said, Isaac, if we were to make a, a, a different trade on your end. One of them would be actually doing another trade with Cleveland. Lori Markinen. I'm not sure if Cleveland would want to get rid of him, 
but with the emergence of Evan Mobley and they already have Jared Allen and they still have Kevin Love, which I'm not sure how long they want to hold on to him, but there's just a lot of big bodies on this roster. And Lori Markin, and I feel like it's kind of, he, he could be the odd man out. I mean, they, they could, they could trade Lori Markin in and get instant shooting in my, in, uh, Malik, Malik Beasley. So the contract's actually nice. Um, I mean, he's a guy that's going to rebound for you. Um, his, his rebounds have gone down a bit in, in Cleveland, but he's, he's kind of like a fast paced guy. He's, he's, he's going to be able to shoot the three. Like he's going to, he's going to fit in really well in this Finch offense. Um, now he's not exactly quite the Turner defensive side of things that I was looking at before, but he's still another big body that I think would work really well. Um, and he could kind of give some relief to, to cat. Um, but I kind of just thought of this one cause it was like, you know, I was trying to think of, of guys who maybe just were on the, the odd side out and also teams that were doing well and where they can improve and, like Cleveland, I mean, they've had some big injuries already. Like Rubio's out and Sexton's out, right? Um, and so, I mean, they could use they could use another guard. And with Evan Mobley being as good as he is already, like I don't think they need four big men eating up all that all that salary right there. So, what's the trade? It's an interesting. It's an interesting thought. I mean, I it would probably be just Beasley and maybe some kind of pick it, it, it's for me. It's hard. To, it's hard to tell because I don't know like his value. Cause not, no, it's hasn't been talked about at all, but to me, like for them to be able to get Beasley, who can be a volume shooter. And I'm sure you could throw in, you could throw in another guy, whether it's, I don't know. I, I feel like it gets a little, it gets to be a little too much on our side. If you try to throw in like a McDaniels or something like that, cause I would hate to see McDaniels go for someone like Laurie Markkinen. Cause you're going to lose a little bit of defense. But if you could do some kind of Beasley and like a first or like a protected first for Laurie Markkinen, I feel like that could be interesting. Okay, so if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, why would you make that trade? Shooting, they're gonna, they're they've been um, overachieving so far this year. So play for a, a better, you know, scoring roster. Add something that. Maybe they don't have quite as much of. The only thing, I, the only thing I'm worried about is like they like Markkinen just got signed to a new contract, right? So he's wrapped up for four years on a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty good deal. So that's the only thing is I don't, I don't know if he'd even be on the table for Cleveland. At least not this year. Well, if he's lost in their rotation, you know, it, Cleveland is pretty, you know, they're pretty young in their script. So I, I. I I do think it would be a tough trade partner because even though like, you know, Memphis um, in the West, they're a little bit ahead of where they're supposed to be. So it kind of depends on whether their general managing the general mannership thinks that we're all in. And I think with, you know, the youth of their roster, they're probably going to hold Pat. That would be my guess. But if they can get value and they can get shooting at the deadline for a guy that's not lost in their rotation, but, you know, at, at his peak in Chicago, you know, um, excuse me, Markkinen averaged like what, high eight, like 18, 19 points a game. And now he's around 13 and like his minutes have gone down, um, not significantly, but that's a pretty big three-headed monster and man Cleveland just like talk about turning back the clock and like (laughs) foregoing the modern NBA and like with Jared Allen and and Evan Mobley and um and Markinen and you know then Kevin Love at 610 coming off the bench like well they probably didn't think Evan Mobley was gonna be this good this soon he's been pretty incredible so I think that that's that's why it would if anything it would like beat up a trade for someone like a marketing because it's like we like we have this position locked down like let's let's go get depth in other positions my second pick though isaac is a guy that might surprise you like marketing did me john collins mm. so i think the big question for john collins is how do we pry a guy that's in his youth 
that's averaged 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 40% three-point shooting away from Atlanta, right? And um, my thinking was this. So we're 10th in the NBA in defense, which still befuddles me. Like, <laughs> I, I honestly yeah. never saw that coming. And we're halfway through, the, over halfway through the year now, and we have the 10th best defense, and then we have the 22nd best offense. And mm-hmm. overall, we're uh, plus 0.8, but minus 1.3 in the fourth quarter, just for the record. And so I'm like, if we improve this roster and it's not Ben Simmons and we can't get a center that truly is a rim protector like a Miles Turner, like what else could we use? And I'm like, a versatile player that is good at offense, that can shoot the three, and that can rim protect, and that led me to him. And so why John Collins? Well, he signed a five-year $125 million a year in the off or $125 million contract in the off season. So Atlanta would never get rid of him. Right. I don't know. Like they're 12th in the East right now. Like they made the Eastern conference finals last year. And you can argue that they were at least a year, if not two ahead of schedule. Right. And mm-hmm. so now they're kind of in this like hangover year. So, I think this team, in terms of his offensive versatility, and like he's 6'10, 240 pounds. So he's not an undersized four. What would it take to get him from the, the, the Hawks? He's at 23, 24 million a year. So definitely Beasley. And then, you know, throw in our trade exception with Prince. And he's 10 million. And I think the only reason why the Hawks would make this trade is to get cap money off the books for next year. That ten million um, that Prince has would come off the books, and then you know, like they've already got Clint Capella, and so an offense that is that is driven by Trey Young. What is he going to need? All he needs is one front court man. He needs one guy that is the, the the dunk man, right? And then he needs shooters around him because his whole game is about pick and roll, Capella. Or shooting on the exterior. And I don't think it's going to be easy. I think we would also have to throw in some draft picks for him too. But I think he's talented enough that it would be worth it. Like one thing about Chris Finch is like put good basketball players on his roster and he's going to figure out how to use them well. And John Collins is a really good basketball player. That's my second trade. I just, I, I love it. I just don't get why Atlanta would get rid of him. Like I've never, I've never when like I've seen the rumors with him, but I don't, I've never really understood it. Like, there, it doesn't make sense to me why Atlanta would give up John Collins. Well, that's why you got to prime away. You got to give them something that they can give them value now, as we would do with the Sixers with Simmons, and maybe it's a couple of first round draft picks. I just, I don't think we need more youth on this roster. I like, I would be willing to sacrifice the 2022 and 2023 draft picks for a guy that could make a difference in this roster. I would. Yeah. And then yeah. see where it plays out. And then from there, it doesn't work. We rebuild. That's fair. I do like, I do like this trade better than the, than the Simmons ones personally. <laughs> What's your two B? What's your you you told me you had a two B trade. My two B is completely off the wall. Okay. Um let's hear there's it. There's a there's a team that's been just terrible with everything they've handled in the West for almost as long as I've watched basketball. Ooh, Not quite true. The Kings? That that's the team. And they did just resign this guy, which was a guy I was hoping the Wolves would go after in the offseason, but he kind of became too high of a price tag when they resigned him. But if you throw Beasley in the mix with a trade, he becomes more likely. Now, it doesn't really fit well with, you know, what you were saying earlier with the stats and stuff, but it fits well with, with what I'm hoping for the Wolves to get is a true center. And that man is Rashawn Holmes. So he just signed a new contract with them and he's just kind of a bully. That's, that's pretty much what he is. He's, he, he scores just, you know, just above 10 points and he averages about eight rebounds a game. Very efficient. I mean, 
two point field goal percentage is well above like sixty percent. Um, and he just, I mean, I feel like him and and Pat Bev, they'd just be like two scary dogs out there on the court, and that that second unit would be pretty pretty stout. Um, I guess Pat Bev's been starting too, so but. Um, his, his contract's beautiful, four years, 12 million. And then just as more of kind of a joke, I don't know. Did you, did you see, uh, the thing with Terrence Davis on Sacramento where he was wide open at the top of the three point line? And instead of deciding just to shoot the ball, he decided to do a little shoulder shimmy. No. And then he shot the ball and he totally missed and the coach was pissed at him. <laughs> so not to, not to say that Sacramento wants to get rid of him for that, but just the idea of like, Maybe like they're not as high on him because he's doing stuff like that. You could maybe pull him with Holmes and you know trade trade away Beasley and one of our young players and a pick. And I mean you'd have you'd have two very good role players coming in. He doesn't give you much three point shooting, but what he does give you is the continued you know hustle and aggressiveness on defense. He gives you more rebounding, which I mean. Our rebounding seems to be all right, but he'll give he'll give us more. And is efficient. I mean, he's efficient at what he does well. And then you'd also get a shooter back in Mister Mister Shoulder Shimmy Terrence Davis. So to me, it'd be like almost it, it'd be it'd be a little upgrade, but yeah, you'd be just getting better, more like aggressive players. So what's the trade again? I had a Rashawn Holmes and Terrence Davis. Um, coming to us from Sacramento and then trading out probably Beasley and Nas Reed. All right. So my so that was your two B, right? Yep. So my two B. Do nothing. <laughs> well, that's not fun. This is supposed to be about trades. Come on. <laughs> I, right, but I I just think that like I think about how much Jared Vanderbilt, just think about not only that he's starting, but he's also beginning to make an impact offensively as a cutter. Like he's not an mm-hmm. offensive player, but he's figuring out how to fit in with this team, right? And Towns is having a career year. And Edwards has improved from you know his freshman to sophomore year. And Russell is playing, I will say, as well as he's played in his career. I really believe that Beasley's been a little bit lost in the rotation, um, but that's because there's so much depth and, you know, Beverly come onto this team and he's a starter. And it's just like McDaniels, I would say has come along about as much as you would hope a guy as raw as he was in year two. Yeah. I think expectations are high for him because of how well he did in year one, but I feel like he's still in a good spot for year two. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we do is just stand pat and let Finch continue to develop this roster and see what we have in the offseason and go from there. Like, what do we do in the playoffs? And do we make them? And do we get out of the, the, the play-in tournament? And, you know, but it's exciting. Here we are in January talking about a team that is a buyer at the, at the trade deadline that has a very good chance of making the play-in tournament and that probably is a you know, is a pretty good contender for making the playoffs altogether. Like yeah. I'll take that for Minnesota basketball. Exactly. What more can you ask, ask for at this point? <laughs> we'll take those kind of victories. Well, with that, Isaac, I, I, I want to say today is January 24th. That means that it is only at this point, nine days until the U S men play at Allianz field in, in St. Paul. So are you all, are you all ready? I am. I have all my warm clothes and still hoping it's not going to be negative whatever like it is actually going to be tomorrow. Um, but you know what? Whatever the weather is, I'm going to be ready to cheer on that red, white, and blue, baby. Do you have any U.S. men's national team gear? I got to work on that yet. I kind of wanted to talk to you about that, actually. So we'll take that what off do you the need? pod, though. What do you need? <laughs> we'll have to find out. I don't know. I, I figured we could try. We could. Check out some scarves. Yeah, I think hats and scarves. It'd be fun to have a souvenir souvenir scarf for this game. Yeah. It's getting late. I'm going to let you take us out. <laughs> yeah, thanks. thank you guys for listening. Uh, we hope to be back on here soon. And uh, stay safe out there. <laughs>